Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hey, everyone. I hope we had a fairly decent week. I had an I had an okay one. I don't know if I mentioned this on last week's episode, but me and my little one that I nanny for a few times a week actually got into a slow-moving car accident last week. And thankfully, she's okay, I'm okay, but it's been a real pain in the ass trying to deal with my insurance company and getting a hold of the other guy's insurance company. Finally found out this morning that they are going to be fully liable for it and I don't have to pay a single dime, which makes me so happy. I was going to be really fucking pissed if they were trying to say that any of this was my fault because it was not, (laughs) even a little bit. And I had a kid with me in the car, which just made it that much more terrible. She was really shaken up, but she was okay. And I was just shaking mad. I was so pissed. We were going through this intersection after being at a four-way stop, and this truck was to the right of me, stopped completely, and I had the right of way, so I went. And just as I had like a second left of clearance to get through the intersection, this car rolled forward and hit the back of my car on the same side that my little one was sitting. So Mama Bear Madigan came out strong and I did my best to yell at them. Unfortunately, they did not speak much English, so I don't really think they knew exactly what I was saying, but I'm sure they could see from the look on my face that I was fucking pissed and they could see that there was a kid in the car. It was awful, but we are all okay and thankfully I am not going to be held responsible for anything. That's my most recent life update. I feel like I don't have anything else that's fun and exciting going on, except for the fact that I just uploaded a great new episode to Patreon yesterday. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I really, really think it is an important episode. It was an episode that was put together well, and I'm really, really proud of how it turned out. I covered the documentary Dopa's Death, which was directed by Mia Donovan, who India and I interviewed for her podcast, Still Learning. And we also interviewed one of the subjects in the documentary, Juan Cortez, who still works as a licensed acupuncture therapist to help those who are struggling to get off of drugs, particularly opioids, to use acupuncture therapy as a way to detox and heal. It's a fascinating story about how the Young Lords and the Black Panthers came together to start the Lincoln Detox Center back in the early 70s and how the government really did their best to stop this movement and what it looks like today, so on and so forth. 
It's a really, really important film. I've been adding it to the show notes over the last couple of weeks to make sure anyone who wants to see it gets a chance to do so. You can watch it for free on YouTube through the Vice YouTube channel. So just look up Dope is Death or click the link in the show notes if you still want to watch it. And then head on over to Patreon. That episode is actually available in the Angry Feminist Book Club level, which is for $5 a month. So if you're not a member on Patreon and you want to be, go ahead to patreon.com com slash angry neighborhood feminist or again click the link in the show notes and you can become a member of the angry feminist book club for five dollars a month or you can become a feminist fave for eight dollars a month the latest and greatest with the feminist faves is that i am now releasing a recap episode after each of monday's full-length episodes every time there is a new episode i should clarify as last week it was a rewind episode where i share any further thoughts that i have on that week's subject anything that i wasn't able to add or forgot about so on and so forth and actually for this episode i am going to be making a recap as well I think every once in a while I will do ones for the mini episodes when there are a lot of topics for me to cover or lots of different things that I want to talk about or maybe some of the topics are not fully aligned with what I try to look for for the mini episodes, so on and so forth. So I do have two other topics that I wanted to cover this week besides the three that you're getting in this episode. So if you want to listen to the extended version of this episode and get two extra news topics this week, you definitely want to join the Feminist Faves level on Patreon. Once again, that's patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist or click on the link in the show notes. Okay, I think that's all the housekeeping I have to get to. Let's get into the first topic. Derek Chauvin, former police officer and convicted murderer of George Floyd from back in 2020, was stabbed in prison last Friday at the Tucson prison in Arizona. The incident occurred at 12.30 p.m. and employees quickly contained the incident and applied life-saving measures to Chauvin, who was then taken to the hospital. No other people were harmed, and the name of the assailant has not been released. It shouldn't be surprising to see a lot of members of the law enforcement or law and justice community in Minnesota speaking relatively sympathetically for Chauvin's situation. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison spoke with CNN and told them that he was, quote, sad to hear that Derek Chauvin was the target of violence. You were sad? I don't know if sad is the right word to use. Do you think anyone in law enforcement or the attorney general would be saying that about many other criminals? Again, I just feel like the racism is shining through. I feel like he would have been better off saying simply what he said next and leaving that first part out. He said, He was duly convicted of his crimes, and like any incarcerated individual, he should be able to serve his sentence without fear of retaliation or violence. I want to clarify that I do believe that all inmates need to be kept safe and protected, because it cannot be true for just some, and not for others, for it to be fair and just. I can't help but think about Sandra Bland, who was found dead in her prison cell, It has been covered up as a suicide, but there are so, so many others, honestly, including myself, who believe that there is 
more foul play going on with that situation. And if I want there to be justice for Sandra Bland, then I also need to ask that all prisoners be kept safe and protected. But with that said, I don't give a fuck about Derek Chauvin. My first reaction to hearing about Chauvin getting attacked in prison was to chuckle to myself. This isn't very nice, I'll admit it. I, of all people, am usually the first to denounce violence. But after seeing this man kneel on the neck of George Floyd for more than nine minutes, my sympathy for him is barely noticeable. I'm not sad, and I don't know why the Attorney General felt the need to add that. I do want to mention that Chauvin is now in stable condition. According to former prison minister Keith Revere, who also hosts the podcast Lighter Side of Serial Killers, hmm, I don't think I'm going to be listening to that, he was surprised it took so long for something like this to happen to Chauvin. He said, he was a dead man walking his first day in prison. This definitely won't be his last attack. Revere said that prison gangs often target high-profile prisoners, and Chauvin is one of the most famous ex-cops in the world. Like Revere said, it isn't uncommon for high-profile criminals to be hurt or even killed in prison. Serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer was murdered in prison in 1994 after being beaten to death. Catholic priest and child molester John Gojin was murdered by a fellow inmate in 2003. And more recently in 2018, Whitey Bulger, who was an organized crime boss, was beaten to death by fellow inmates at the U.S. Penitentiary Hazleton in West Virginia. His attack had been the third homicide at this facility in a span of just 40 days. What the fuck is happening there? The story of what happens to Whitey Bulger, even though he was also a piece of shit, is really scary to think about because he was in a wheelchair. He was very, very old and a whole group of people just brutalized him and attacked him. And that's not to say that I forgive any of the crimes that he committed during his life, but that's just such a terrible image. There's an argument that Derek Chauvin should have been kept in protective custody, otherwise known as solitary confinement, or in a facility where other inmates have more to lose and maybe wouldn't want to fight as much. I've never heard that before. I feel like that would be really hard to determine. <laughs> and with that, I just wanted to say that I am not a proponent of solitary confinement either, especially for a long period of time, as I believe it's straight up torture. In solitary, you're locked away, alone, for 22 to 24 hours per day. It can lead to serious and lasting psychological damage, as physical and social isolation, coupled with sensory deprivation and forced idleness, can create lasting damage. On top of the psychological effects, people in solitary confinement can also develop serious long-lasting health problems, which can lead to an increased risk for further health issues and even premature death. It also reached the news that Derek Chauvin's family was not notified that this attack had occurred and his mother took to social media absolutely outraged, posting that no one from the prison or the FBI had contacted her about the attack on her son and stated that she had also been unable to contact him. Just days before the attack, an appeal Chauvin made to the Supreme Court was denied, in which it was argued that he had not received a fair trial for killing George Floyd due to the publicity the case received. This is a very common reason for an attempt of an appeal. 
They also argued juror misconduct, alleging that it was in the juror's best interest to find Chauvin guilty to avoid threats of violence from the public. He is now separately appealing his conviction on federal civil rights charges. Good luck with that, Chauvin. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Rolling Stone released an article this week with the headline, Henry Kissinger, war criminal, beloved by America's ruling class, finally dies. Henry Kissinger died at age 100 in his home on Wednesday in Connecticut. Kissinger was a survivor of the Holocaust after having fled Nazi Germany with his family in 1938, and he would go on to be one of the most revered American grand strategists of the second half of the 20th century, though he would not be regarded fondly by many due to his perceived war crimes. Historian Greg Grandlin estimates that his actions from 1969 through 1976, when he had made Nixon's and General Ford's foreign policy as National Security Advisor and Secretary of State, meant that he was responsible for about three to four million people's deaths. He was associated with controversial U.S. policies, such as the bombing of Cambodia during the Vietnam War, U.S. involvement in the 1973 Chilean military coup, a green light to Argentina's military junta for their dirty war between 1971 and 1983, and support for Pakistan during the Bangladesh Liberation War, despite an act of genocide being perpetrated. Ironically, he also shared the 1973 Nobel Peace Prize for negotiating the end of the Vietnam War. So depending on who you speak with, you may get a differing opinion on the man, I find him very fascinating, so I think I may do a whole episode on him in the future. Needless to say, whether good or bad, he had a lot of sway in the history of our country. And he lasted a really, really long time. I can't believe he was 100 years old. I heard the name. I had no idea he was even still alive. (laughs) And there are a lot of human rights groups out there who were very, very upset with the legacy that Kissinger was a part of. Max actually was the one that urged me to mention this on the news episode this week and to talk about it a little bit more. And he knows way more details on the history and everything of Henry Kissinger. So I guess look out for that in the future. All right. And lastly, yesterday, Max's mom sent me a post on Instagram stating, Pope revokes homophobic cardinals Vatican salary, subsidized apartment. A headline from Esquire reads, Pope Francesco is cleaning house, baby. Gosh, sometimes headlines really fucking tickle me. I gotta admit, my first thought when hearing about all of this was, what are they hiding? So I decided to look into it a little bit more. 
Cardinal Raymond Burke has been a long-standing and outspoken critic of Pope Francis. As part of a group of American conservatives who have long opposed the Pope's plans for reforming the Catholic Church. Apparently, though, this is not meant to be a personal punishment, but it comes from the belief that a person should not enjoy cardinal privileges while criticizing the head of the church. But nevertheless, this sets a new precedent, as it's rare to have a cardinal evicted. It seems to be sending a clear message that Pope Francis is serious about breaking up the alliance between the conservative Catholic clergy and the other extremist conservative pressure groups in the United States. It's clear that Francis is none too pleased at the way religion has been weaponized in the States. He has said multiple times that he does not believe that modern American conservative politics have any place in the pulpit. Cardinal Burke had actually worked with Steve Bannon for a while while he was running his quote-unquote gladiator school for Ultramon Catholic warriors over in Italy. You know I had to look further into this whole gladiator school thing, because what the fuck? And the former Trump advisor, Bannon, set up a right-wing gladiator school in an 800-year-old Italian monastery, which was eventually derailed. Bannon intended to use this space as an academy to train a new generation of conservative, quote-unquote, culture warriors, hoping to turn out the next, quote, Tom Cotton's, Mike Pompeo's, Nikki Haley's, the next generation that follows Trump, according to Bannon. Cardinal Burke has not only been removed from his subsidized Vatican apartment, but he's also losing his salary as a retired cardinal. And now, I don't think the Pope is doing this out of any sort of outright support of left-wing politics or anything like that in any way either, as it seems he sees that there is no space for politics whatsoever in the Catholic Church. But that also created a big question mark in my head because the government of the Vatican is literally run by the Catholic Church, melding the two together. So that simply makes no sense to me. But the story that came out this week about him evicting this horrible, homophobic, right-wing cardinal, and the story that came out last week about him having a meal with the unhoused trans and sex workers of the Vatican City, it really is strange. (laughs) I'm not used to seeing this many positive things about the Catholic Church being said, And like I said at the top of this, when I first saw it, I was like, okay, what are they hiding? And I have a couple of theories here. Either Pope Francis is getting really old and possibly sick. I know that when I was doing my research, they said something about him having pretty severe bronchitis this week, but that he's on the mend, so on and so forth. But maybe there's other stuff going on and we don't know how much longer Pope Francis is going to be with us. So he's trying to do what he can to kind of stake his claim, make his changes that he wants to make, so on and so forth. My other thought, because I don't trust the dirty bastards in the Catholic Church, is that there's some other shady shit that they're covering up and the media moguls behind them are trying to build up all of this positive publicity to be able to cover up for something else or to at least make something else seem not so bad. 
I don't know. I It's my religious trauma speaking. I don't have much trust for them. But I also really, really love to see these stories because I had such a negative experience growing up in the church. And the fact that we have a pope that is at least appearing to be more inclusive and loving and accepting and to be against those who have more hatred, at least that's what it appears to look like, is really stepping in the right direction. They did clarify that Cardinal Burke was released because he was going against the Pope and not necessarily due to his hateful rhetoric. But I think his hateful rhetoric is also what the Pope is trying to fight against, which I really, really respect. I hope that this kind of growth can continue in the church. There are so many people who have been traumatized and hurt by the church's messaging And I think while these religions exist, there has to be some sort of growth and movement into accepting the people of today. Because if you really want to think about it, and you all know I'm not a religious person, but if Jesus were here today in 2023, how would he behave? I highly doubt he would be joining Steve Bannon to build some gladiator camp in the Vatican. All right, that's everything that I have for you for this episode. But if you want a little bit more, I have two extra topics that I'm going to be discussing on Patreon. I'm going to be talking about more hostages that have been released during the ceasefire of the war between Hamas and the Israeli government. And I'm also going to follow up on last week's subject where I discussed the death of Anna Benavides at a Taylor Swift concert in Rio last week. So if you want to hear me discuss any of those things, please go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist or click the link in the show notes and you can listen to that episode by joining the Feminist Faves for $8 a month. But also don't forget to check out the new Patreon episode where I cover the documentary Dope is Death, which is available in the Angry Feminist Book Club level. If you join the Feminist Faves level, you automatically get all of the book club content. You get ad-free versions of these episodes. You get them a little bit earlier. Get in those recap episodes. I'm really doing my best to get more and more action going on Patreon. So please come join me there. Come support the show. Help me keep this going as we run for almost six whole years. Bonkers. Simply bonkers. Remember when I used to say bonkers like 10 times every episode? (sighs) The good old days. Besides joining me on Patreon, I would also really, really love some more reviews. I also wanted to say thank you really quick to those of you who have left reviews recently. It really, really means a lot to me, and I really, really appreciate it. But if you're one of those people that enjoys the show and hasn't yet left a review, I would really, really appreciate you leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts in particular. If you have an iPhone, go over to that Apple Podcast app, find your angry neighborhood feminist, and leave a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. And if you like to listen on Spotify, you can also rate the show there. Speaking of Spotify, I've really been enjoying seeing everyone's Spotify wrapped so far this year and seeing how many of you are still enjoying your angry neighborhood feminist, and it just warms my heart and makes me happy, and I just love all of you so goddamn much. Just can't say it enough. Well, that's all I have for you today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye.
We are the hosts of Comic Sans, the podcast about comics for those who are sans knowledge. I'm Yen, a reader, writer, liver, and breather of comic books. And I'm Nat, and I know absolutely nothing about comics, which makes both of us authorities in our respective fields. Exactly. Hey, wait. On Comic Sans, I make Nat read some of my favorite comics, including Sandman Saga and Laura Olympus. And Yen tells me what makes that comic special. Then I hear what Nat thinks, and I try to avoid a pulmonary embolism. While I actively try to give him one. Listen to Comic Sans on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can already binge our first season, and we just released a special bonus episode on Across the Spider-Verse. Hey, Nat, before we go, I'll give you 50 bucks if you can tell me what Comic-Con is. Is it related to Chili Con Carn? Do you mean chili con carne? Maybe we should be chili sands.